Hey, movie fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Untreaded Media Podcast. This is episode 145. There is so, so much news to cover this week, which makes me happy because it feels like for the past few weeks it's kind of been like a lull. Like, we've got some stuff, but we were jam-packed. There was some stuff. Mm-hmm. I had to cut out a really good graphic with Rosario Dawson and Owen Wilson as ghosts, but nope, that ain't happening anymore. Um... And there's some stuff with Christopher <laughs> Nolan with Universal. We'll probably talk about that next week, maybe. Uh, there's a lot of stuff, but our discussion this week, we're going to make you feel sad, because feeling sad sometimes is cathartic. Neither Josh and I are sad right now. We just This is a topic that's been on the back burner for a bit of most emotional movie scenes. Like Not necessarily like they're going to make you cry, but they're very heavy in a good way. They can be either emotionally cathartic or just... They might make you cry. Some of these, I know for a fact, have definitely made me cry on multiple occasions. But, uh, Josh, how are you doing tonight? I'm chilling, bro. Like, straight chilling. We, uh, I'm Tuesday, because we record on Tuesdays, right? So, we, uh, I, Monday, Tuesday are my two days off in the week. So, I'm just like, I'm straight chilling, man. I played a lot of Apex last night. We got three wins in a row, and like after the third win, we were like, yep, yeah, all right, time to go to bed, because uh, there ain't no way we're going to do better than that. Um, and then like this morning played, uh, my brother and I have been playing It Takes Two, which is weird that he and I are playing that, but like it's a really, really good game. Um, but yeah, no, I've been straight chilling, bro. You watching anything good? Uh, so... Uh, my dad and I are in, just started season three, the final season of Into Into the Badlands. Mm. Um, I have feelings. Mm. I, like, and I'll say this, in sometimes a positive manner, and sometimes, in most cases, not, the third season feels like another studio picked up the show. Oh, one of those type of feelings. Scrub season nine. But, like, not in that case, but, like, all of a sudden, out of no, like, it was kind of normal for the, you know, as the show has been, not, and that's not a negative, it's a pretty great, like, positive, the show has been pretty normal up until, I think it's, like, episode two or three of season three, and all of a sudden, it gets really, really brutal and really, really graphic out of nowhere, and then they kind of don't acknowledge it at all. Like, so, basically, this show's been out for a while, so I'm going to spoil a little bit, but, like, at one point, a Oracle-type character, they've been building up in the episode that they they have to do a ceremony in order for her to see see some things, to see what, you know, see the lines that fate is drawing and stuff like that. You know, your typical Oracle stuff. Yeah, you know, so... Uh, you could tell that story, you could do that, you know, with, with drugs or like, you know, like how you normally would do with oracles. No, no. Uh, they hook, they put two hooks into her, her shoulder blades and raise her 20 feet up in the air. And that's how she sees things. And they, you know, that the, the blood eagle scene from Vikings, it's about, I know what a blood eagle is. Yeah. So it's about that brutal and like it's out of nowhere in a show that cuts away when people cut people's heads off like it's so weird and then they vividly showed somebody getting their leg like cut off because it was infected so they're trying to save their life or whatever you know um it was just like out of nowhere season three is 
way different in like not necessarily a good in some good ways but like not good like my dad and i were talking like at this point there's we've got five storylines going on at the same time and only one of them is interesting interesting like so you and i don't typically complain about violence so long as it serves the story yeah like, you and i really enjoy invincible because this violence furthers the story and the brutality exactly. of omni-man and other characters but i'm not a big fan of violence for the sake of violence and that kind of sounds like what the show is doing they're just like we yeah, can do it because i mean it, it's it's an amc show so there has that. so they can't go and too far with it though no they can't go too far and like it's so weird to be complaining about like grotesqueness and violence in a show that is mainly about martial arts like i don't understand how like i'm here in this in this space but that's what's going on um uh, and completely different page i've been watching more friends and it's it's so entertaining uh speaking of martial arts shows i have not seen it but it sounds right up your alley have you ever heard of warrior like a show yeah have you watched warrior Uh, on it is on my list of stuff to watch i uh once i finish uh season three of badlands with that with my dad i think i'm gonna be like hey so there's this other show other show that's like it was like, because I've told him about it. I was like, you know Kung Fu? And he's like, yeah, I loved that show as a kid. I was like, all right, cool. So you know how the lead wasn't Asian? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I always thought that was weird. And like told him the story of like the history of that, that of what happened with that show and blah, blah, blah. I was like, so there's a show that's based off of Bruce Lee's intentions. And it's a, it's a thing now. And he's like, all right, that sounds really cool. So I'm like, now that we've watched Into the Badlands, I think I can slide that in. So... We'll do that. Uh, I watched the only thing I really watched recently was James Wan's *Malignant*, which dropped on HBO Max. Yes, I've been meaning to watch that. It's weird, dude. Um, it's <laughs> it's like early two thousands James Wan. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but like it feels more along the lines of like a *Dead Silence* than a *Conjuring* type of a okay. little a little more kooky. Uh, the final third is pretty good, and it gets really wacky and balls to the wall and kind of nutso in a good way. Yeah. Uh, there's definitely going to be some people that are, don't buy into this because I can understand people's criticisms of the main villain, and I get it. I thought the design was kind of cool, but without spoiling it too much, how they move can be kind of funny if you want to interpret it as funny uh also the quote-unquote <laughs> twist you could see coming a mile away and normally i'm a positive person on this show and i am positive that i would have liked this movie better if we got a different lead actress no offense to annabelle wow. wallace but i've never liked her in anything i've seen her in uh it's the same girl from the mummy i've seen her in other things and i always oh. just think she's really really bland and i know some people make the case of she needs to be for this role of like trauma and um kind of seizing her own power by the end of it and i'm just going yeah but you kind of want at least some reason to care about this character and i think the supporting characters as cheesy and over the top as they can be they are at least a little more memorable and engaging than her performance i think had we given it to somebody else again no offense to the actress she's much better than i will ever be in that department but I think the movie would have been much better served with a different 
actress in the role because the script that she's given is not necessarily that bad, but I think at times her delivery is not great. The final third, though, is worth the watch in and of itself. It does get gory and over the top and fun in a cheesy way. It's not scary in any way. It delves a little too much into the action subgenre at times. And if you can get over the villain, I think you can have fun with it. It's not the best horror movie of the year. It's not even going to be even close to the best movie of the year. But it it's a good HBO Max movie. I don't know if I would have liked to see this movie in theaters. But um, not all the movies that have gone to HBO Max were destined for the big screen. I'll, I'll put it that way. It wasn't, it wasn't bad. It was kind of just whatever, though. I've come to expect better from James Wan recently. Yeah, that's fair. I feel that. I feel that a lot. I, uh, I've been meaning to watch. It's been on my list of stuff that I've been meaning to catch and then just have it. So maybe I'll check it out. Let's get into some news, shall we? Because we got a buttload. Yeah. Yeah. Kicking us off is a trailer that just kind of dropped out of nowhere. Like the night yeah. before this trailer dropped, Jeremy Renner took to social media. He's like, oh, hey, by the way, my trailer comes out tomorrow morning. And all of us are going, that sounds like a Hawkeye type of announcement. Hey, guys. We're in afterthought again, and looking at this trailer, no offense, I can see why. I didn't mind this trailer, but it's not Marvel's best. We'll just put it that way. Don't get me wrong. I think a lot of people have slept on both the character of Hawkeye and the prospect of this show. I think this show, unfortunately, at least how I've seen it, is a lot of people have kind of been treating this as the butt of a lot of jokes of just like, everyone gets a show. See, even Hawkeye gets a show, to which... I've never really had a problem with Hawkeye. I, I get the joke and the criticism that he's the weakest Avenger or whatever else. But ever since Age of Ultron, I think he was one of the better and more interesting characters just because, oh, look, he actually has a family and he actually genuinely wants to retire. But you guys keep begging him to come back. And then the whole Ronan thing, which I don't think his hair is nearly as bad as everyone else makes it to, out to be. I kind of dig the Mohawk, but we're back to boring 2012 yeah. Hawkeye hair in this one. I think the trailer for this is okay. This, maybe it's just me, it didn't feel like a Marvel show. This felt kind of like a generic action movie. Uh, I got a little bit of Die Hard vibes from this. Josh, did you get any mm-hmm. Die Hard vibes out of this? Yeah, I totally got Die Hard vibes. And it does feel more like just like a generic action film, but... Uh, I, I don't know, man. I'm trying to, like, be positive here because there's, you know, WandaVision was one of those shows where we were like, ah, it's not going to be anything. And then... It, it wasn't th- anything. This, uh, it, it was still entertaining up to a certain point. I don't know if it deserved three Emmys, but whatever. Um, Shallow class this year. Yeah. Anyway, uh, was it though? No, okay. Don't get me into it. Don't get me into it. Um, <laughs> I, I just, yeah, it feels like an afterthought, and it feels like there's it's entertaining to a certain level. I have no issue with anybody's performance, I guess, in the trailer, but it kind of like is one of those trailers, and even the, uh, <clears throat> even the, the. The logo is kind of like, okay, cool, I guess. Is Target going to sue them for copyright infringement? Um, I don't see why not. But, like, I do, I think, okay, so let's go takeaways real quick here. Things that you may, maybe you enjoyed from the trailer. 
Cute doggo. I like. There's a cute doggo. Yeah, cute doggo. Cute, cute doggo. Um, I love Kate being like, I'm, and I'm the greatest archer on the planet, whatever. And he's like, does who does, says that? Does everybody say that? Or and she goes, well, say I, I say that. I say that. I was like, okay, that's that's a great little tag because that's that's always the thing attached to Hawkeye. Um, I'm I think I mentioned it to you. I love that Clint has a hearing aid in this. Although I want, I you need to explain it. You can't. It, it, I, I swear, and I think you said this to me too. If they just be like, yeah, no, he's always had this issue. Um, no, I'm sorry, we have close to 20 movies saying otherwise. Yeah, that's one of those so... like, if I'll be very pissed if they retroactively just go, yeah, he's always been deaf. I'll I'll point to specific scenes in the MCU going. No, he's clearly not. Like, hey, remember that time in the first Avengers movie when he's on top of the roof and he's shooting arrows and no one's around him, yet he's talking to the rest of his teammates with an earpiece? Mm-hmm. Uh, other times, maybe. You'd be like, okay, the deaf community is the best at reading lips. Maybe he's just really good at reading lips. Uh, but other times, he's by himself and he cannot read people's lips. So he's not always been deaf. So I don't think they'll do that, but I, I will want an explanation to why he now has a hearing aid some people have suggested in that massive explosion at avengers tower uh in endgame that knocked out his hearing to which i'm just going well is ant-man deaf then is um super (laughs) i'm trying to think of who else was there because captain america's old and on the moon now iron man's dead hulk uh, oh, yeah, we could say it now. Shang-Chi's been out for two weeks. He's back to human form now and not wearing a hearing aid. So I don't know if I would say Endgame is what caused Hawkeye to be deaf. I, I just want clarification. I just want to know what happened there. Yeah. What what caused him to go? Now, if he, like, lost it in the first episode, sure, fine. But the fact that he's, like, sending his family away it makes it kind of seem like sometime between Endgame and this, he lost his hearing. And I'm like, that's kind of a big deal here of... You just lost one of your major senses, uh, but I'm I'm glad that they will be taking that approach. Just because, as I'm not overly familiar with the character, I do know that he's been deaf for quite a while in the comics, and I think that would be really good representation for the deaf community. As we'll talk about a deaf character in our discussion later, because mm-hmm. oh, it's so good. But I think that's a audience that could use some representation and i think hawkeye would be a good face for that uh this to me this is not a show about hawkeye this is again just like the black widow movie was introducing elena and basically was doing nothing else wandavision they'll say was uh, exploring the multiverse that was not true it was just there to introduce us to the twins this is just further setting up the young avengers basically to me but the big difference is it's Haley Steinfeld, so I'm much more interested in it because, as yeah. we talked about numerous times on the podcast, nine times out of ten when Haley Steinfeld is attached to something, it means it's going to be good, with a few exceptions, Pitch Perfect sequels. Yes, I just referenced those. But by and large, she needs to like give her agent a raise because usually her agent picks great projects for her to be yeah. in. Let's... Just look at her very first thing. True grit. Like, holy crap, guys. And then you got Dude. Bumblebee. You've got this. I'm sure she'll knock it out of the park. I feel like I'm missing a really big one. But I'm trying to remember what it is. Uh, I've heard great things about her on Dickinson. 
she's just one of our favorite up and, i don't even know if she's an up-and-coming yeah. actress at this point she's technically a, at this point no yeah like i feel like she's one of those mcu castings that we've got when they're actually big like as much as you and yeah. i have loved florence Pugh for quite a few years now I felt like Black Widow was Florence Pugh's big coming out party to the mainstream audience. Yeah. The mainstream already knows who Haley Steinfeld is, so whether it's movies or music or whatever else. Like, I feel like this is Marvel action kind of just going with a big name, which we haven't done since maybe Benedict Cumberbatch with Doctor Strange. I'm sure there's some other names I'm missing. Chadwick Boseman wasn't a big name yet. Brie Larson wasn't a big name yeah. yet, I don't think. Well, and I mean... you. you mm. You could almost argue Robert De Niro, not Robert. De, wow. Um, oh, jeez, Downey Jr. But that was but, that was at the beginning. He, that, that was at the beginning, and it nobody took him seriously because he just got out of rehab. But yeah, I'm so saying since was, I'm saying since Doctor Strange, we we've had intros yeah. to people. No, but I don't think anybody like really, really big has been cast. Until and we're not saying Haley Steinfeld is on the same fame level as a benedict cumberbatch or a robert dungeon we're just saying no. she's for marvel castings which typically lean on the more obscure to fit the role pretty well they went with a pretty high profile name in Haley steinfeld who we still think will be excellent for the role i appreciate that right off the bat i think her costume is already better than most of the avengers roster uh oh, it, yeah it's just kind of bizarre to me that now that we're done with endgame marvel just seems to be focused on okay now is when we're gonna do comic accurate costumes i'm going why couldn't we do that before like come on now okay we teased it a little bit in thor ragnarok but ken if we're doing comic book accurate suits can we please bring back the winged helmet for thor i'm still pissed that they took that away in the first thor movie because that was perfect but it was gorgeous, bro. Josh, how are you feeling about the purple um, Kate Bishop suit so far? Let's go. Absolutely. Yeah. Bring it on. I'm I'm very curious as to why she's wearing a Ronin like replica suit in mm-hmm. the beginning. Uh, first of all, that was during the five years everybody was snapped, so so how clearly she was still ha- here. Yeah, the, that. but that and how would the news have images and have that kind of information? Like, you know, I don't know. I have all kinds of questions. It's, it's about time, time frame and stuff like that. Don't think about I, the blip. <laughs> don't think about it. I can't. We, just, we literally, like, so much of the show is, uh, uh, sorry, so much of the shows coming in right now have been so like revolving around the idea of what of the ramifications of all of the blip. So it's kind of hard to ignore at this particular moment. So as a whole, like this trailer didn't get me more excited, but it also didn't like take away my excitement. It, yeah. it pretty much stayed level, which at least in my eyes means not a good trailer, but that's because a trailer should raise your excitement. Shouldn't detract. Yeah. But the fact that my excitement just kind of stays where it's at, I was like, Eh. I appreciated all the Christmas theming. It got me in the Christmas mood in September. Get away from me in my spoopy time. I I will celebrate <laughs> your Christmas season when it comes its time due. But for the time being, let me have my spooky stuff. Let me have my Muppets Haunted Mansion. This. Do we know how many episodes this is? Is this like six or no eight? No clue. Um, yeah. Knowing that given how they, the 
how the shows have been going lately, I'd say, yeah, probably six or eight. I'd Max would be ten. Now, but I don't know if they can get ten, 10 episodes out of it. I'll be very curious how they rope in Yelena into this, because obviously after Black Widow, she's destined to run into Hawkeye somehow, which I'm not going to lie. I would pay good money to see Florence Pugh versus Haley Steinfeld. Like a... Maybe oh, Haw- maybe like Hawkeye's injured as we see him ice pack up a ton in this trailer, which I kind of appreciate that he's going to get the crap beat out of him. Maybe yeah. like she's about to fight him and like Game of Thrones type of situation of, I need a stand-in. Here's my fighter. You two fight. And that the two of them realize, okay, this has been a big misunderstanding and the two of them more or less become some of the new recruits for the new Avengers going forward. And we get a buddy mm-hmm. dynamic between the two of them. Yes, please, please pair up Florence Pugh and Haley Steinfeld. I, mm, they could be the new um, Bucky and Sam Wilson pairing type. I, I'd be absolutely down. down for that. Uh, the other thing I thought about was just like all of the comedy that the Florence brings to, in uh, in Black Widow is. I'm just picturing some of the comments she makes uh in that movie talking it maybe her and her and um clint kind of have like a moment where they're reflecting about uh nat natalia and like being like having memories and stuff and she brings up the poser thing and and clint's like i know i always thought that was weird (laughs) i actually i i can see that i would like to see that yeah absolutely so i'm not gonna lie this next one makes me a bit nervous actually a lot a bit nervous so peacock the struggling streaming service which has more people than we think but not as many paid people as they would like peacock has made the decision to move halloween kills to a day and date release as it'll be coming both theatrically and peacock the same day as peacock is owned by universal and blumhouse is also owned by universal Mm -hmm. oh boy um i would not be so nervous about this had this be timed differently and what i mean by that is this gets announced a day after the reviews of this movie started coming out out of the venice film festival which to put it nicely were not glowing reviews however i'm not dissuaded yet because a lot of the critics were just like well as much as we like 2018's Halloween for the its examination of grief and how does one deal with trauma as a woman growing up with stuff, this movie is much more involved in the darkness and violence and how does a city deal with a murderer. And if you like blood and gore, this might be for you. I'm going, it's a Halloween sequel. What do you move. think we want? <laughs> like, like oh, I don't care about the analysis of madness of what makes someone evil. Like, as much as I love Loomis, I don't need to know that Michael Myers has the devil's eyes, the blackest eyes. We already know that. We don't need an analysis of what makes mm-hmm. him evil. Mm-hmm. Like, I need my blood and violence in my Halloween movies. We've already seen in the trailer some great kills. We've seen Michael kill somebody with a light tube. We've seen um, a whole bunch of mayhem and insanity now the reviews i'm hearing from actual halloween and horror fans are going oh this is a bloody mess and it's fantastic um so the i'm not overly worried about the critics i think universal is worried about the critics and also they need peacock to do better this is not the first but it's pretty close to the first time that they've done this the first time they did this with releasing a movie on peacock 
and on streaming the same day was the Boss Baby sequel, to which, you know, that's such a high-demand movie there. Oh, wow, um, yeah. So I, I understand the decision, but at the same time, just my immediate gut reaction, just because of how we've been conditioned to view movies going day and date, raises a lot of red flags to me, both for it going to stream, but also the timing out of it all. Just going, oh yeah, you know all those reviews that came about, about this movie that aren't super positive? Oh yeah, we're, we're very positive about it. That's why we're pretty good on streaming. Uh, Josh, am I, am I raising too many red flags or do you think this is good because more people will see it? I, 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 I don't. <laughs> I don't think more people will see it because just because it'll be on Peacock because it's Peacock. Um, but which, which I've defended many times, but at the same time, it's still a bad service for those WWE fans. I'm sorry that it moved off of the WWE Network, which honestly was one of the most reliable streaming services I'd seen in a while, and now you watch it on Peacock and. Oh my god, pay-per-views are unwatchable. One, because it's WWE, and two, the stream just dies. Like, oh my yeah. god, Peacock, fix your crap. I mean, it's fine. Everybody's watching AEW now nowadays anyway. Brian but- Danielson, <clears throat> baby! Let's go. Kevin Steen um, is next. But- Kevin Steen and Sami Zayn are he- next, buddy. Oh, buddy. <laughs> It's so fun. A little sidetrack here. I don't think I've I've I haven't seen you this excited about wrestling in a long time, dude. And that's that's saying something. Okay, so. this is how much AEW is killing it right now. I've thought about getting cable just to watch it live every week. Ooh, I haven't yet. I'm fine with watching YouTube replays, but like no, <laughs> AEW AEW is getting me back into wrestling. But getting back to the mayhem of Michael Myers. Yeah. Red flag, Josh. Red flag. Nah, to me, really, uh, not really. I think <laughs> it is my let, let me rephrase. Uh, I it is my hope that because of the success of the first of the of the 2018 Halloween, people will be like, that's something I still want to see, regardless of like what critics are saying about it. And I would, I would hope that because here's the thing. When it comes to critics, they expect horror movies to be something a lot more than a than a simple plot or a simple idea, or simple concepts. They just always like, want Get Out. Yeah, they do. But I, 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 while I appreciate the first one, and they are right, that does take a look at the ramifications of grief and the ramifications of trauma and like how that. I agree. Or it's just about a lady who's been through some stuff, and she, this is how she reacts. It doesn't have to be so complicated. This is a horror movie, man. It's not like <laughs> this, not, is, this is not... the same <laughs> franchise that had Buster Rhyme karate kick yeah. Michael Myers and say trick or treat, mother ever, <laughs> just for you, Josh. Yeah, yeah, that is like one of my favorite horror movie moments of all time, and you can't tell me otherwise. But. The being like, if you like blood and guts, this is the movie for you, I guess. And trying to make it sound snobby, but like, you're talking about a Halloween movie? Like, shut up. Go away. I don't want it. Like, I have no worries. I, there's like a little red flag in the back of my head about it, but I don't care. I'm going to see it. And you know what? I'm We've seen it together, too. One. What? No way. Oh. Hmm. oh what's this? Uh, I, what's this? Uh, hmm. 
Um, also, so as we've said before, once we get 500 subscribers, I'm going to be doing a live reaction to, not live, I will do a reaction video to my very first ever video. I think if y'all like that video enough, we should make Josh do the same thing. No, stop. No, 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 no. There's still evidence no. out there. Um, I, here's the thing, man. I, it's attached to my, my, my Google email. Oh, so I still have it I, under my liked videos section. Anytime I open up my, my YouTube profile, it has the little like channel thing right there. And I, every time I see it, every time I literally will avoid going to my profile in YouTube. So I don't have to look at it because there's like only five videos there. And I just, mm, I don't want, yeah, no. My no, only no, other red no. flag about Halloween, as we keep getting sidetracked, my only other yeah. concern about <laughs> this is how will this, if at all, am I not, how will this affect Halloween Ends, which has not started filming yet? Like, this Halloween Kills is specifically designed to be a middle movie of a trilogy. It's supposed mm -hmm. to be like The Empire Strikes Back. So, spoiler alert, I'm fully expecting Michael Myers to win and slaughter basically all of Haddonfield. Like, if I don't get that i'll be very very surprised because you've got to build dramatic tension for the third one i wonder if they'll approach halloween ends the same way of just like oh well kills didn't make that much money i don't see it depends on some studios like disney clearly is like well didn't get box office so we're not getting a sequel whereas like Free Guy was only theaters, and that did well. And that is getting a sequel, where some other studios are kind of more accepting. Like, there's a report that came out that uh, Warner Brothers is going, we'll probably make a Dune movie, a Dune sequel, if this does pretty well on HBO Max, even if it doesn't make its money back in theaters. I'm going, okay, that's that's a good that's sign. That's reassuring. Uh, yeah. what, what approach will Universal take? Because Halloween right now is one of the biggest cash cows in terms of the horror franchise, but ends is supposed to be the end of this story arc, whatever that means, whether that definitively ends Michael Myers or that definitively ends Laurie Strode again. Um, we don't know, but I, I just hope that this going to streaming doesn't affect ends, which hasn't filmed yet. It's supposed to start filming in January, but we haven't gotten any updates on that since. I'm, I'm just hoping that this doesn't like, I don't think it will flop. I just hope it doesn't. Yeah. And that will impact future movies. I don't, yeah, I don't think it's going to flop. Um, and honestly, just because of, and maybe I'm trying to be hopeful here, just because of the positivity from the first one, and I'm hoping that the that while the, I think the snooty co uh, critics will kind of pan it, the horror community will love this, and the fans of, of Halloween will love it. And I think that's, at the end of the day, that's the only thing Universal will see. Because at the same time, while it is a cash cow, they only gave Rob Zombie to two of them. Well, he quit. So, uh, well, there's actually interesting stories about that. But that that could be a video yeah. for another day about yeah. Halloween like, 3D. I, I'm I'm not as worried, I think, as, as you are. And I think that's just because I'm trying to be positive about it. Because I would, I would really, I think it would be a pretty big feat in the horror in the horror genre community to do a solid trilogy where every single movie is is good yeah you know Halloween what I mean? is I, that, that's not that 
Halloween has had back-to-back movies that are good before. They just haven't had three in a row. But I, yes. I still maintain that Halloween 3 is really underrated, but it doesn't have Michael. We haven't had three good Michael movies in a row. In a row. We, we'll Correct. say that. <laughs> so we talked about Paramount last week delaying uh, Mission Impossible, Top Gun Maverick, and Jackass, which we said, in hindsight, looking at the success of Shang-Chi, was probably a really, really idiotic mistake. Mm-hmm. And now... Looking at their future plans, looks like even more of an idiotic mistake as it seems like Paramount is actually shifting away from theatrical experiences or at least to the extent that they have in the past. So Paramount is going undergoing a transition at its top management and the former head is out and they're bringing in Brian Robbins, who was the head of Nickelodeon, more or less, to be the head of all of Paramount. So basically, it's just a step up for him because Paramount owns Nickelodeon. And they're yeah. said to be moving away from the theatrical releases, at least to the extent that they are right now. So they might still have, like, a few, but they'll focus more of their attention on Paramount Plus, their streaming service. Which we said last week, you should have just put Top Gun, Maverick, Mission Impossible, and Jackass Forever mm-hmm. on Paramount Plus because all of those have appeal and people would go see those i was excited for top gun maverick i would have liked to see it in theaters but i know a lot of people that are fans of the original top gun that would have signed up for paramount plus just to see that top gun you brought it up last week and i completely agree there will always be a market for the jackass movies there would have been people that signed up for it just to see jackass forever Mm -hmm. although not to typecast but i feel like the people that would go out and see jackass on peacock probably wouldn't see it on peacock and would find alternate means so to speak um what no i don't know what you're speaking of i don't know how accurate that is because i don't know how prevalent movie pirate eating is these days because everybody's a bigger bit than ever a little bit more concerned about what uh you know the, the health of their computers but yes but so Paramount is said to be moving away from theatrical experiences to which I'm just going that's this is what happens when you are like the annoying little brother of the movie studios like don't get me wrong Paramount has had some good movies but they also did Snake Eyes and all the other G.I. Joe movies like Paramount they've had some good stuff in the past but they are like one or two flops away from being bought by somebody else no joke like Uh As much as it's a, we joke about it sometimes, if Paramount did not have Tom Cruise, I don't think there would be a Paramount right now. Yeah. <laughs> because people are excited for Top Gun Maverick, Tom Tom Cruise. They're, may, they're major franchise right now. Basically, their only like consistently lucrative franchise is Mission Impossible. Yeah. They keep trying to make franchises, but they just don't work. Why they don't do you commit. Think they, they just don't commit. They keep rebooting Transformers every couple of years, and when they do actually make good ones, Bumblebee, they don't make sequels, and they just go back to what worked, like the new Transformers with, uh, oh, I forget what it's called. It's not a continuation of the Bumblebee storyline. It's set to be a straight-up reboot. I'm going, just, just why? why? The reason that Bumblebee did not do well at the box office is because people were expecting it to be like the Michael Bay sequels that made less and less money. I swear if you made a Bumblebee sequel because it had such positive word of mouth and so many people found it via home video and Blu-ray and whatever yeah. else that it would have done well for a sequel. But you now Haley Steinfeld's busy doing other things. I, 
I don't understand this decision, but at the same time, I think this is Paramount waving the white flag going, we've kind of sucked at this theatrical release thing, so let us be the first one to bow out because we've got our streaming service to focus on, which Paramount Plus is a mixed bag for me. They've got some good stuff, a lot of good old TV. Like, if you grew up in Nickelodeon, it's a good service. And they've got some good movies on there. They already have more 4K stuff than HBO Max. Shocker. Yeah. You're late to the party on that one, HBO Max. Which supposedly HBO Max is overdue for a really big overhaul in the coming months. Of like, they teamed up with a new um, like provider or whatever to build their mm. service for from okay. an interface standpoint. So I'm hoping that means 4K titles too. But Paramount Plus has not gotten off to the start that they were hoping for. But I first blamed that off of a terrible name to begin with, CBS All Access. That just sounds like a free catch-up-on-your-parents-favorite-TV-shows type of streaming service. Yeah. And then renamed it to Paramount Plus, which is not a bad name, but they have such a thin library. That's why they milk Star Trek for everything it's worth because it's honestly the only thing that they have besides ninja turtles which they're about to milk to death which josh is just in the corner going it's ninja turtles please give it to me i will try any ninja turtles at least once at least once come on man i mean i and i think part of that mindset is i when they came out with oh geez it was like that one that was animated the movie that was animated tmnt um, yeah I, I was like, oh, this is stupid. I can't believe that they would just drag t- Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles through the mud like this, blah, blah, blah. And then I watched the movie and then bought the video, the, the DS game. And I was like, I was like, bro, this is, this is great. This is so good. So ever since then, I've been like, you know what? I will watch anything TMNT at least once or twice. Give, give it a chance. I mean, what's the worst that could happen? Out of the shadows. Well, yeah. But that's already happened, so... <laughs> we could get another Ninja Turtles Christmas special. I mean, Gotta get a gift thing. for Splinter. Out of, the shadow- Out of the Shadows, while not great, is still better than... Uh, the 2014. Ninja Turtles 4. Is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 4. The one where they introduce the, the female turtle. Venus de Milo never happened. That movie doesn't exist. It's out of continuity. <laughs> we don't talk about that one. Exactly, but that's my point. Like, like, there's not to me at this particular moment. There's not a lot that they can do wrong unless they drastically change everything about the turtles. But anyway, with that being said, I'm kind of with you in that Paramount has kind of due for an overhaul in general anyway. So sure, why not? Um, as far as them kind of bowing out of the theatrical releases, to me that feels like. Almost like, oh well, what we what we've been trying is not working. So instead of trying something new and different, we're going to uh, just dip, which is like, I don't know, kind of feels like quitting. But that's my opinion. Yeah, I don't I don't disagree at this stage, but we'll see. They they've got a long way to go to play catch up. Yeah. Now. Seemingly out of nowhere, Marvel decides that, hey, we've got release dates, so we're just going to announce them. But they don't say what they are. So we've got four new release dates for upcoming Marvel movies with (laughs) February 16th, May 3rd, July 26th, and November 8th, 2024. And as you can see, I'm busting out the tinfoil hat (laughs) because I feel pretty dang confident 
that I know, not one, but what all four of these movies are going to be. But, because I'm the master of anticipation! Anticipation! I'm going to have Josh go first. Josh, you see February 16th, May 3rd, July 26th, and November 8th, 2024 on the calendar. If you had to bet, what are these four movies? At least one of them's Fantastic Four. There's no way that one of them's not. Um, and at least one of them is Silver Surfer related. If he doesn't show up in the movies in this phase four, phase four right now. That's, that's, I, I that's don't your... see how we don't build up it up to having Galactus in, in phase six. I don't see how we don't do that at this point. Besides, besides that, do you see any other... Do you have any other guesses? No. No. <laughs> so I got no, I'm I'm just chilling, bro. So I've thought way too much about this and like obviously research and thought went into this. So February sixteenth. Only one of these dates I think are is a project that hasn't been announced yet. The other three I think are announced, but we just haven't had dates yet for. February sixteenth, I think it will be Blade. Ooh, okay. because yeah, yeah, yeah. because if you look, Black Panther also came out in February for African American for Black History Month, and I oh. I think they might go back to that well. And also, Black Panther was wildly successful for them financially for a February release, and I think they might try that again with Black Panther, and it not Black Panther for Blade, and also almost none of the movies I'm going to talk about are sequels because. We are getting a lot of sequels in 2022 and 2023. And by the time we get turnover, like it takes about two to three years for a movie to get a sequel, which would probably put like Spider-Man getting a sequel sometime in 2024. But that wouldn't show up in a Disney schedule. That would show up in a Sony schedule. So I'm thinking way too much about this. Um, (laughs) But I think Blade, because that's been announced, we already have a writer for that. So I think we're not too far off from starting actual production on that. So I think February release would do well for that. May 3rd, that one I think to me is the easiest one. Avengers 5. Avengers okay. movies Avengers movies the past few times have come out the first weekend in May. It's like the start of box office, the box office summer. If it's not the first weekend in May, it's the last weekend in April if they really wanted to start it prematurely. It's a pretty proven draw. It's... By the time that'll happen in 2024, it'll be five years since the last Avengers movie. And we'll have a lot of movies to build up whatever our new roster will be. So this makes the most sense to me. July 26th, here's Fantastic Four. Because if you look at the track record of the MCU, they like to... Whatever movie comes out after an Avengers movie does extremely well. Iron Man 3, as much as we have issues with it, made over a billion dollars. After uh, Age of Ultron... I'm trying to think of what came after Age of Ultron. I can't remember, but I know it did well as well. Then after... It might have been Spider-Man. I'm trying to remember now. Pretty sure it was. Pretty sure it was. I can't... Spider-Man was... No, it wasn't Spider-Man. Homecoming was 2017. Somebody in the comments section, I'm sure, will remember, will remind us. It's got to well, because Civil War has to happen before Homecoming. Yeah. Um. But Spider-Man also did well. 
uh, Far From Home came out after Endgame, and that made a bunch of money. So if Disney wants to go, we have faith in Fantastic Four, put it right after Avengers because you've got that momentum going forward. If you want to maximize your profit of this potentially unproven franchise, not unproven, but this new take that you've got, mm-hmm. you want to put your best foot forward, you follow it up after an Avengers movie. You can do some teasing in Avengers for this movie for Fantastic Four. I think that makes the most sense. Fantastic Four just screams a July big summer release. It doesn't have a release date yet. It's not coming out in 2023, and we still haven't even started casting, so I think production-wise, 2024 is a good time frame. Now, the only one that I feel less than confident about, but I'm still kind of confident about, November 8th. I don't know what we're going to call it, so I'm just going to call it The Mutants. And here, okay. and here's why. November, lately and previously in the MCU, has been their time period to experiment and introduce new characters. The first Doctor Strange came out in November. This November, The Eternals. Next November, Miss Marvel. They use November as a time to introduce people that they don't know if they're going to be big <laughs> summer release movies yet. So the movies will come out in fall, and then their sequels... Like in the mouth of mad, not in the mouth of madness. That's a very different movie. Multiverse mm-hmm. of Madness comes out in the summer. Uh, granted, Thor: The Dark World came out in November, but Marvel wants you to forget about that movie. I think after phase after Avengers five, we will get past that five year window that Kevin Feige said he was planned on, and we can start getting in our Fox characters. We get Fantastic Four, and then we get our X Men characters back to back after an Avengers movie to start building up the next phase with this new roster. So to get the people in phase four, we'll build up to Avengers. And then after Avengers, we start our phase five. And what better way to do that? Just like every previous Marvel movie by introducing our new characters, Fantastic Four and X-Men. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, the, the tinfoil hat was well-deserved today. Uh... <laughs> I have no argument against any of those, mainly because it makes so much sense. And you can't I mean, argue with crazy. <laughs> but yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I yeah, no, I'm down absolutely. I think the Feb- I think the February release date for Blade makes the most sense, as well as May third. Also, uh, he took the hat off, and now he's got more ideas. <laughs> also, what if Blade is rated R? Do we know Absolutely. of any other R-rated comic book movies that came out in February? Deadpool. Deadpool. Bingo. I don't know if we'll get an R-rated Blade, but it's just more of where's that um, what's that meme from? It's always sunny. <laughs> just here's my board of just here's why Blade <laughs> is coming in February 2024. Yeah, but it's it's one of those it's, it's gonna have to come eventually. We can't ignore all these projects. Um, yeah, no, that timeline makes sense to me. I'm down. Why not? What could possibly go wrong? Well, I mean. I mean, we could get a Matrix sequel. That might be uh, that might be considered wrong, and we've just lost some people, I'm sure. Um, we got a trailer for The Matrix Resurrections, which is the fourth installment in the Matrix franchise, which I'm sure this movie will be acting both as a sequel and as a reboot, and I'll be up front right off the top. I don't really care about The Matrix franchise. It's just kind of whatever to me. Even the original one, I'm just kind of, 
whatever on. I don't mind it, but I, I've always thought they're just kind of okay. I think they've always strived to put the visuals above their actual storytelling, which if that isn't the Wachowskis in a nutshell, I don't know what is. Um, It looks, the trailer looks okay, even if it does just kind of look like an LSD John Wick. Like, it doesn't, I don't know, I'm not getting distinctly Matrix vibes here, but maybe, like, for those diehard Matrix fans, they're just like, you're not getting this reference or this reference and this reference. I'm like, maybe I'm not. But if you're excited for that, that's awesome. Uh, Josh, are you a Matrix fan, and did you like this trailer? I I think the Matrix series has a special place in my heart. I will say, though, the second two are not as good as the first. Um and I think there's a lot of really interesting sci-fi conversations to have and stories to be told, especially with going back to the Matrix universe. Um, but I don't think any of those stories are going to be told here. I think this is uh, John Wick, but in the Matrix universe. And while I'm super, super excited to see Neo again, uh, I was kind of hoping that he would, I don't know, not be John looking exactly like John Wick. With a duck um, on his head. I just... Okay, here's the thing. I'm going to, instead of telling you what I think about the trailer, here's what I think the story they should tell. <laughs> because this is not the story, and you can go look at the description of the movie. This is not the story that they're telling. Let's say, you know, if you want to sit here and be like, ah, life is a simulation. Okay, cool. So once you end that simulation, what's gonna, what's Neo going to go through once you know i don't know there's technically now only one timeline like the simulation shouldn't exist because he shut it down so what if he's living his life but he can't he's got the ptsd because he can't tell if he's in a simulation or not even though there's no simulation and so then that just spirals out of, i don't know where you would go with but like that's not the story is from the tra trailer and from the movie description that is not the, the story that they're telling. And it, they're telling that he's somehow in a new simulation altogether, which how did you get there? I don't get it. It's fine. You know what? Whatever. I don't care. I'll probably see it once and the, only if they release it on like, I don't know, HBO Max or something. Like I mean, I don't, it is a I Warner do, Brothers movie, so. Dude, it just. I think my hope is that they didn't bring back Matrix, which is one of the most iconic sci-fi trilogies in history right now. Um, they didn't just bring it back so that Keanu could do John Wick Whoa. in a different franchise. Like, that's my hope, because that's what the trailer looks like to me. What I would have liked the story to do and i don't think they're doing this i think it's gonna be very much the force awakens of the matrix of just like let's kind of just rework the original movie what i would have done is i again i don't think they're this smart though is all, everything from the trailer is like from the first 20 minutes of the movie and um neo quickly realizes that he's the one and it's his job to go to yaya abdul mateen who we see in the picture here and teach him more or less, because it kind of, we get the sense that he's Morpheus, basically, because Lawrence Fishburne's not back. Yeah. If it was, instead of Neo is the student, Neo is the master trying to do for Morpheus what Morpheus did for him all those years ago, of basically wake him up, except a 
more maybe like a reincarnated version of Morpheus type of thing. I think that would be much more interesting, but that's clearly not what's happening here. That being said, you got Yahya Abdul-Mateen in the movie. It makes me excited. He was good in Candyman. He's great in Black Manta as Black Manta. Love me some uh, some Yahya Abdul-Mateen. So, and sure. But honestly, I kind of am down at the idea of having... Um, gosh, I feel bad. Uh, Neil Patrick Harris. I was going to call him Barty Stenson. But I'm excited for him to play a villain. I don't that think he is. so interesting. I don't I, think he's a big mm, character. I think Jonathan Groff, who we see at the end, is uh, Mr. I Anderson. I hear you. No, I not Mr. You. Anderson. Uh, Agent Smith. Yes. But I think... But what? What? that's my thing. It's like, what if Barney Stinson's character is just another Agent Smith? <laughs> Gosh, I did it! No! <laughs> no! <laughs> I feel so bad. Oh, my Neo, gosh. Neo, your legend is... Derry. <laughs> everything but yeah the trailer didn't do much for me i i and just to field my field my opinion opinions just to make sure i asked a couple people at work and they were like yeah this just looks like john wick man like i don't know so it is what it is also i'd be much more excited for this movie if i hadn't seen the past few wachowski movies yeah and it's interesting that only one of the wachowskis is doing this one yeah we didn't forget about jupiter ascending guys now, Josh, let's talk about something that you're much more excited about, that both of us are much more excited about, as Sony was just like, Merry Christmas, everybody. Here's some game announcements. But they didn't give us, like, a overabundance of, an- of announcements. It was nice. Just, just, just the right amount for us to go. <laughs> All of us with PS5s are just gloating, and everyone else is going, Scalpers! As <laughs> Sony just randomly decided... Hey, today's our state of play. Let's announce some game stuff and announce some game stuff they did. So there's a lot to go over. We've got a Knights of the Old Republic remake coming, which the irony is not lost on me that the original came out on Xbox and now this will be a PS5 exclusive. So yeah, that that's very funny to me. Um, Sony and Insomniac, who made the Spider-Man game, which we'll talk about, are making a Wolverine game, which the teaser for that was amazing. Uh, Spider-Man 2 is in the works, but it's not coming out until 2023, with the main villain being Venom, voiced by original Candyman, Tony Todd. Oh, sweet Jesus, yes. Uh, We'll talk about that more, because I don't think Venom's the only major villain that they tease, obviously, in that trailer. Um, What Josh will want to talk about the most, obviously, God of War Ragnarok's gameplay trailer, which, oddly enough for me, they said that they said this will be the final Norse game, which I'm going, the second one is the final one? I Okay, maybe my brain is just so programmed to go trilogy, 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 but whatever. And then obviously the most important news for everyone out there, the thing that <laughs> no one is talking about but me, I don't care, it's my podcast. Uncharted 4 is getting a PS5 remaster, because you know, it didn't just come out five years ago, it doesn't really need a remaster, because it's still one of the best looking games on PS4, but... I don't care. Is this just going, oh, there's an Uncharted movie. Can we re-release something that's slightly prettier to do combined sales with? Sure. Just slap a new skin on Uncharted 4 and suckers like Nathan will buy it. Because, yes, you're darn right I will. Because there's any excuse to play Uncharted 4 again in slightly better resolution. Oh, yeah, I'm going to play that again. (laughs) But, Josh. You know, it's going to be. It would be great if, like, you go to play it and it's, like, not even slightly better. It's, like 
worlds better in oh. resolution. You're like, oh, 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 I was not ready for this. Okay. It'll it'll look good, but the, the shooting mechanics will still be booty. God, I hate those. That, literally, and I know you and I have talked about this, the only reason that I find uncharted games to be unplayable is the shooting mechanics. The hit detection is so bad in all four games. It's so bad. So much. Like two, I was super down and like super like I'm playing the the, the storyline. I'm like, this is great. I can't hit anything, but like this is great. No, the worst the worst though for Uncharted is you get a sniper from really far away. You get it all lined up. You're just holding it just to make sure that the guy's not going to pace. As soon as you fire, he walks to the side and you miss. You're like, oh, there was like, I have never had a game make me rage as much as Uncharted did just because NPCs won't do what I need them to do. And then an NPC will come out of nowhere and just shotgun you in the face. You're just like, where are you? Oh, God. But Josh, if Josh keeps raging in Uncharted, then he will bring his own Ragnarok. Let's discuss God of War. <laughs> All right, dude. Um, so what's really crazy is I think the first couple shots of the tra- of the gameplay trailer, um, I thought were from the first game. Like mm-hmm. they don't look necessarily that much different, which I think is a bold choice. Um, but then you see teenage Atreus, who I already want to slap in the face. I and I think that's the point. I I don't think I don't think at any point where I think this is just a extension of <laughs> of the first game where you're like you're useful sometimes. And boy, you know, I'm gonna like slap the, you. <laughs> I like the arc that he goes through, but at the by the end, like in the middle of of that of God of War, was it 2018 God of War? Yeah, I think yeah. Uh, like when he's like when he finds out he's a god and oh god, there's a good two hours of gameplay in that game i wanted to smack the living crap out of atreus um but i hope that continues <laughs> i hope that continues in red rock because i think it, it's just gonna happen hmm, i wonder why he's acting like such out. a brat hmm. Mm, hmm. Hmm. okay it's so almost like here's a... nothing nothing for those that don't yeah. haven't played the game there's a he might yeah, be somebody yeah. else um so um i think the the trailer does something that I was not expecting. I thought they does not necessarily give it. does not give us a gameplay view of Thor. It talks about, we got a picture of Thor, but it yes, does not give us which a we can talk gameplay about that. view. Yeah. Um, it talks a lot about them trying to find Odin. And then, you know, don't show casually Odin. don't show Odin. And then shows us the one God that they said was dead the entire other first game. Tear. And I'm so, so here for it. Because you know what? If I like I'm so excited because if if this is the last Nordic game, that means we're going to other cultures, baby. Let's go. Egypt? I'm, Egypt? Oh, dude. Kratos versus uh, Anubis Ra. is gonna be oh, oh, oh. Ooh, Kratos so versus ready. Anubis, dude. I'm just if you so fight happy. in hell, oh, dude. Oh, dude. There's just so much. So exciting. And I think that's why they're not doing a trilogy. They're going, they're, go, they're, they're, they're doing the, the rigmarole. They're doing the, every mythology. Why not? Why but not? Then again, what could possibly go wrong? 
at least to me, there's so much you could have gotten out of the Norse mythology. Like, there's so much lore there that you could explore. But then again, maybe their story is so tight and compact and well done in this one that they don't need more. Or they don't want to just, like, bleed it out just for the sake of sequels, which I can respect that. Uh, let's get into the thing that's causing quite a bit of discussion online. What do you think of Thor's design? I, for one, yeah. am all about it. I really, really yeah. like it. I think so many people are just expecting, like, MCU, to which I'm just going, y'all, if you know anything about Norse mythology, Chris Hemsworth looks nothing like Thor. Yeah. No, I'm absolutely all about it. I, I can't, there's a part of me that wishes he would, like, put a shirt on, because I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, it makes sense at the same time. Um, no, I'm super But his state of mind think... says, the thunder rolls, and he has rolls, too. <laughs> Here's the thing. Given that you fight his sons in the first one, and it's I hate calling. I don't know why I keep calling it the first one. And it's 2018 God God of War. It's just God of War. The, his appearance here is not that surprising, given what his sons look like. Mm-hmm. So, and they're going. It's obvious they're going with a much more traditional look. And I'm I'm here for it. So here's my take on why we're stop we're done with Nord the Nordic part, right? So, basic the whole basically the whole reason we're in the Nordic world is kind of wrapped up nice and tight in the in the first one in the 2018 God of War. The only reason we were there is because of Kratos's now dead wife. So, the what who is to say they don't get either run out or uh, or just maybe they have to leave for certain reasons uh i'm te- i'm i'm pulling it right now i think you meet tear in the first third of the game oh i think a lot I of think, this footage is from the first oh, third of this game dude i am i think i wouldn't be surprised if we are no longer in in the nordic world by the end of the game no i'm i'm still expecting odin to be the big final boss because it's got to be but i think a lot of the gameplay that they show in this trailer. If you watch like the details in the backgrounds and who he's fighting, it looks a lot like it's all in the same spot. So I would not be surprised mm-hmm. if it's the first like maybe hour or two of the actual game. And God of War is typically about what twenty five to seven out twenty seven yeah. hours more or less. Like on the yeah. Uncharted Four was twenty three or twenty four, and God of War was slightly longer than that. So if this is on PS five, which you know. Good luck with scalpers, Josh, because you know this is going to be a PS5 game. Um, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if this is like a 30-hour game or a 35-hour game. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I'm, I mean, I'm just looking forward to PS5 games actually coming out as opposed to just replaying PS4 games because Pandemic has been sucky for all kinds of reasons, yeah. but also has halted production on a lot of games as I'm still over here waiting on LEGO Skywalker Saga, but... <laughs> yeah so i mean i think the trailer gave me just enough to be like okay cool this is still a thing that's happening let's keep all right but they're doing something else with it they give they give us the trailer gives you just enough to button just enough bite for us to you to wait for it now let's talk about the spider-man trailer very briefly and then we'll move on to our last news topic that before venom shows up at the end i'm just going oh so Craven's the main villain for this game because the voiceover, first of all, Russian accent, talking about wanting to hunt something that's his equal that might finally be able to beat him someday. I'm going, 
Oh yeah, that's absolutely Craven. Also add to the fact that Craven wasn't in the original game whatsoever makes me really really excited because we both really really like Craven the Hunter and I'd be very curious to see what Insomniac do with him because everything about that first Spider-Man game was written so well, everything was executed so perfectly. It's one of if not the best portrayals of Spider-Man this side of uh jailed Drake Bell um but Doc Ock was excellent, so I'd be very curious to see what Craven the Hunter does. I wouldn't be surprised the way that this trailer was edited together. And here's uh, maybe I need to bring the hat back. This is totally out of left field and nothing to support this whatsoever. I wouldn't be surprised if Craven is Venom this time around. Yeah, I'm not against that. I'm not that not against that at all. Because technically anybody can be Venom. Mm-hmm. But... Yeah. I know the game has I'm set it up that, that Harry will be it because he's in the tank, spoiler alert, for the first game. But wouldn't it be cool is if the first fight, you fight Kraven as maybe Spider-Man and Miles teaming up together as a team-up fight. But at the end of the game, you have to rematch Kraven when he's Venom in Venom form. I think that would be, would be cool. very interesting. Cause super cool. Ven- yeah. Craven's scary enough by himself. Give him, then give him the ven- a Venom suit. And I'm just like trying to imagine what a Venom Craven would look like. And I'm all about it. Um, and I think the fact that we're so excited for the next Spider-Man game because of the success, success of the first one, I think is why normally I'd be super hesitant of a Wolverine game, but it is literally because of Insomniac and Sony and what they did with that first Spider-Man game. I'm literally, I mean, the trailer's really cool for Wolverine, but like, I'm, I'm here for it. Absolutely. Given the studio that's behind it. Now we're not just going to get a, a Wolverine, a a God of War clone game. That is just with a Wolverine. Wasn't that, that that wasn't a bad game though. I'll say that. (laughs) Um, I will say, though... Yeah, but it wasn't like a Wolverine game, you know? Well, look at the movie it's based off of. They didn't have a lot of material I to work know, with. Um, but the, I thought that trailer for Wolverine was excellent. I showed it to Heather, and she was, like, interested. And then you see the close-up of the hands, and the claws pop out, and she's just immediately just, oh! Like, they did a good job of just immediately making you go, oh, that's what this game is, and now I need to play it. That was a very effective yep. trailer. So, by and large... Well done, Sony. Uh, You've got a lot of games that I'm really, really excited about. I got one more thing to say. Uh Uh-oh. And I think this is important. Make PS5s available? The fact that Knights of the Old Republic is getting a remake by Sony in the world where games technically have, in the Star Wars universe, technically have to be canon, makes Darth Revan Star Wars canon. I thought he already was. I thought like the Clone Wars. I thought Clone they, Wars I, either mentioned him or. I you you we'd have to search for it. I think I, let us know down in the comments. But like at the same time, like this is official. Like it, it's one thing to be like, yeah, he's mentioned. It's another thing to be like, no, no, he shows up, and this is where he is. Like you know, so and that I, trailer I was awesome. That, it's so cool. I, it's a little weird that they're saying they're upfront calling it a remake. Um, which almost makes it feel like they're just going to take the old game and remaster it, which I hope is not the case. No, because they called Final Fantasy VII a remake, and that was that was different than the original. That's fair. So, regardless, 
this this makes Darth Revan actual canon, and that's super cool to me. Lastly, for our news this week, we've got more spinoffs for the Batman incoming. It just feels like they're just adding more and more stuff to this. Like they're Warner Brothers just seems really, really pleased with Matt what Matt Reeves is doing with this project. So people don't believe it when they're just like saying, "Oh, Matt Reeves and Robert Pattinson aren't happy with this Batman movie. They're fighting." Like that. That's just drama for the sake of drama. But a new Batman project is in the works supposedly about Colin Farrell's penguin character in the Batman, which I'm looking at this going. So y'all didn't watch Gotham, did you? Because Gotham was an origin for Bruce Wayne. Yes. But for most of the first season and first two seasons, it relies very heavily on the rise of Oswald Cobblepot in the Gotham crime organization. And it's actually done pretty well i really really liked it i'm not overly excited for this i'm not underly excited if that makes sense like cool i guess um i'll believe it when i see it because there's a lot of hbo max stuff that hasn't gone into production yet that's been announced but this is cool it's further fleshing out the world we've already got that gcpd show coming with we think jeffrey wright's coming back for that as commissioner gordon but that hasn't officially been confirmed yet this is cool. Um, we know we're not getting a ton of Penguin. Matt Reeves has said that. We're not getting a ton of Penguin in this movie, which I'm fine with. Um, I kind of am hoping for in this Batman movie and a couple of the Matt Reeves Batman movies, we get Gotham's worst in small bit roles just to flesh out the world more. Like if we have, I was about to say the Riddler, but we know he's going to be the main villain in this movie besides the Court of Owls, I assume, because I refuse to get off that horse. If we have, like, a quick anarchy cameo or um, not a Mad Hatter cameo or, oh, the Royal Flush Gang cameo. Like, just little things just to flesh out the world or flush out the world a little bit more. And I think... (laughs) And maybe this is that. Also, whatever we do that gives us more of Colin Farrell in this amazing prosthetic I'm all about because holy crap that's actually Colin Farrell like come on there's now. like the, the fact of the matter is like we I, I think it was you told me and there was only the only reason you found out is because you looked at the casting list we're like that's Colin no way like oh dude I'm all about it absolutely all about it and I think his appearance in the movie is what's going to make us want a series of, of his rise. Yeah, I'm hoping they focus more on, like, the the Gotham Underworld side. Like, maybe this is just called Gotham Underworld. I think that would be really, really awesome. Maybe barely any Batman. But maybe he's doing, like, has some turf wars with... I don't think we're getting Harvey Dent anytime soon in these movies. But... In the comics and in the Arkham games, one of Penguin's biggest rivals is Two-Face. I think that could be interesting. Swap out Two-Face with maybe somebody else, and you can create maybe like a power vacuum type show, like a Boardwalk Empire type with Colin Farrell as the lead. Oh, heck yes. And that could be where you have some of your other supporting villains. Again, maybe tie in the Court of Owls somehow, running the whole city, because I refuse to let that go. Also, we're not talking about it this week, but uh, there's a first image released from Peacemaker. Nothing really too important. It's just Peacemaker and the rest of us cruising around a table, but I'm going, 
I think we're forgetting about Peacemaker. I'm really excited for that show, especially after watching The Suicide Squad. Uh, I appreciate HBO Max's approach for their DC show so far. I'm really excited for Peacemaker. I think the GCPD show is going to be great. I think the Penguin show is going to be great. Even Titans, since going to HBO Max, has been leaps and bounds better than the first two seasons. I know, Josh, you said you still have some issues with it, but from storytelling perspective and just from overall just presentation you could tell that someone else took over because it does not (laughs) feel like the first two seasons you're like oh yeah you have a budget and you're like streamlining the story it's still i still have quite a few issues with it being called titans because they don't you know work as a team except for like two scenes in this entire season but it's dick dick grayson heavy so i'm always okay with that but i think hbo max has been a good home so far for these projects and i I wouldn't be surprised if there's other ones coming soon. <gasps> what if? What no, if, no. what if, what if? Marvel's what Hold if. Hold up. No, no, no. Go, go, you know where go, I'm going on, with this. Put on your tin cap, you Okay, goof. okay. Uh, twice in one episode, man. This is what, nuts. What if? What if? Penguin, in this universe, is the stand-in for Tony Zuko. And the Penguin show... The first season ends with them going to the circus to shake down it for money. And that's how it leads into the next Batman. I think Tony Zuko as a character in the comics is only really there to kill Dick Grayson's parents. What if we make that an actual Gotham crime boss that's already existing? Like a penguin. Just just my tinfoil theory. Now, some people will be like, well, make it Two-Face because Two-Face was the one that almost killed Robin in Robin Year One when he was still a kid. Penguin could work, too. Robin doesn't like get along with Penguin. I think it would be much more interesting if that's how we end things because Peacemaker supposedly is going to massively expand its universe by the end of the first season. Rumors of Bane, but I don't believe those rumors because they're coming from very unreliable sources, so stop spreading that rumor. But James Gunn himself has said that there's big characters coming that he has planned for season two of Peacemaker. I wouldn't be surprised if Matt Reeves is thinking the same thing with this show of maybe we can introduce other characters that will later show up in the movies in this show. You know, totally original idea there that they didn't copy from Marvel whatsoever. But, you know, don't break what don't break what it isn't broken. Don't fix what isn't broken. Jeez. Wow. And don't drop uh, the Graysons before they fly. Oh, but at the same time, yeah, I'm down. Why not? I'm a. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if like a sportsmaster or something shows up in Peacemaker. Ooh, yeah that that would be a that would be a perfect James yes. Gunn character. Oh, absolutely. Well, this week's episode, as every week's episode, is sponsored by T Public, where you can get all your Uncharted Media merch, whether it's T-shirts, mugs, uh, notebooks, whatever else your heart desires, with the Uncharted Media logo on it. It's there, so just go there, support the show uh, if you want, and they do well. We'll do more designs going forward, like the tinfoil hat, uh, whatever else. But, but yeah, if you like Uncharted Media, want merch, go there. Let's get sad, Josh. Oh, <laughs> I couldn't think of a good transition out of that. I, I yeah. for one, am always a proponent that feeling emotion and feeling sad or even crying in a movie is good if it is warranted because it means that these you're that invested in the story and they've done that well of a job of investing and in telling their story or like we talked about with 
Ninja Turtles, you could just be crying because they are embarrassing the name and legacy of those characters. So uh, <laughs> that's not what we're talking about here. We will be talking just about emotional, heavy, potentially tear-jerking scenes. A lot of these scenes I've definitely cried in at least once. Um, but I've got nine. I'm sure Josh has slightly more than that. Um, i trying to think of where we should start, Josh. I got nine. Yeah, I got Perfect. nine. Um, 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 also, I'm going to call you out. Why did you just say that I, I probably have more than that? Are you trying to say I cry more on movies? No, because when we were doing our pre-production before this, you said you were rattling off a whole bunch of these. So I assumed you had a long okay, list. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, of I, the I, two I, of us, I will freely I, admit that I probably cry more in movies <laughs> than you do. I, uh, yeah, no, I've, I've cut down the list quite a bit. I think at one point I had 25. So I was like, uh, let's let's calm this down a little bit. Also, we were I was originally thinking doing shows with this too, but TV we can put as a whole separate video because oh, there's certain scenes. I almost put a certain scene from Avatar The Last Airbender that don't watch at night when you're sleep deprived and you're going to absolutely well up a little bit. And But like, there's scenes like that in every season in Avatar The Last Airbender. Oh, I was more specifically so. thinking about the one with Zuko when he betrays no. Iroh and he thinks Iroh doesn't love him anymore. No, stop! Anyway, um... <laughs> or like when they finally get reunited in the, at the Battle of Bangsuse. Like, mm-hmm. I can't, I can't, I can't. Anyway, okay, but we're not here to talk about that. I think what's important here is... An emotional scene for us is not just sad, it can be triumphant, but it's something that is, it does, it's emotionally impactful, but that just happens to be sad sometimes. Yes, so let's start off with one that is going to be interesting because Josh and I both have this movie on our lists, but they're not the same scene. Um, So Josh and I will always sing and Proclaim hallelujah the praises of Gavin O'Connor's Warrior, which is an underrated masterpiece. However, I know for a fact Josh and I have different scenes. Um, Mm -hmm. I completely agree that Josh's is very, very heavy, but a different scene hits me more for different reasons. Like, Josh, what's your scene? So, okay, in Warrior, they've built up a a, a lot of the the buildup between Tommy and his dad has been his dad was when he, when Tommy was a kid, his dad was a raging alcoholic and a very abusive man. And so when Tommy comes back and through happenstance decides to train with his dad, um, there's a lot of, it's very obvious. Tommy does has not forgiven and will never forgive his father uh, for what he did. And even though when the movie takes place, his dad is, has been sober for, what is it? It's like two or three years or something like that. It's like a, it's a good amount of time. A thousand days. Yeah. So when Tommy finally snaps on him, cause like Tommy's been, he hasn't been exactly been nice, but he hasn't been mean for the sake of being mean until when Tommy is, the, the scene right before is when Tommy's playing, he's like gambling or something, and then says some really, really, really mean stuff. The only uh, F bomb in the whole movie. Yeah, ending with the line the only thing that Brendan, his 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 brother, and I have in common is we have absolutely no use for you. And I was like, oh, oh, oh. And that is only the only thing 
your scene that I know you're going to say is, is just as good. But to me, the most emotional part of that is when Tommy realizes when he comes to the hotel room that later that night. Nope, it's it, the next it, morning. Next morning, sorry. Which implies that, that his dad was drinking all night. All night. His dad is absolutely trashed and he's listening to his Moby Dick tape and like what is the, the line he keeps saying we have to stop the ship. We have to stop the ship. We have, we have to stop the ship. You fine. son of a stop the ship. Yeah. And it's like slurred because yeah. he's so out of it and it's just yeah. grizzled. And Tommy is like faced with the reality that his dad is just as hurt and, and as broken as he is and it just God, it just gets to me and I, I I think if there was ever a warrior two, I would love to see the implications of that scene on Tommy and his father's relationship. Well, I don't know a what would series. Entail. They're doing a sequel TV series, but I'm sure it's going to be new characters. Yeah, um, absolutely. But then also, not only does Tommy realize, but he like takes his dad's headphones off. And then plops yes. him in the bed and then hops in the bed like he would be like a child that's scared of a thunderstorm and just lays his dad in his lap and then wraps his arms, like forcibly folds his dad's arms over his and just starts petting his head. And you're just like, let's just uh, stop. And you got to think he's, he's hours away from the quarterfinals and the finals of the biggest fight he could be training or warming up or doing whatever but he's just laying in bed with his dad trying to help him recover in that moment like he's he's the one that's hurting the and just like he's just sobbing the whole time too of just like his the dad is of like you have to stop the ship you have to stop the ship and it was just like god that just it hurts almost as much as your your scene from that movie yes um which i mean honestly all of warrior is just emotionally draining but in the best possible way it's so cathartic yeah but no more so than the final fight between the two brothers more specifically the last two rounds i won't say the last round because the second to last round is also important because uh for the most part tommy is the big muscle the bruiser he demolishes everyone which just a quick side tangent. Can we just appreciate when he mowed over and murdered Mad Dog Grimes? <laughs> he Love just it. clotheslined Love two punches. He's out. I'm just going, yes. And some people are like, that's not realistic. Have you ever watched a fight? Because that is hap- that was what's going to be happening if someone's unprepared like Mad Dog was. But, I mean, yeah, but I mean, it is definitely unrealistic to break oh, somebody's arm. Anyway, but yes. <laughs> but that's not against the In the, the second to last round of the finals between these two brothers, in which case Tommy, because he's the bruiser, has just been mauling his younger brother, who's more of the tactician, because, fun fact, Tom Hardy had never done mixed martial arts before, so his fights had to be Goldberg, in which case shorter and made him look like a monster, whereas Joel Edgerton actually had mixed martial arts training, so he was fully capable of holding these long fights together. So it worked narratively, but also worked from a performance standpoint. And so he's... Brendan, the older brother, Joel Edgerton's character, is trying to wear down Tommy. And eventually Tommy slips up and Tommy and Brendan gets him in a submission hold, which you would think, okay, cool. This will end the match. Tommy will tap out. Tommy's still fighting and still punching away. So Brendan has no choice but pops the shoulder out of place, which is just the worst noise in the world. 
And what's worse, though, is when Tommy comes up because the round's over, you can clearly see his arm just chilling loose. And you're like, dude, nope, no, thank you. But like from the pain in his arm, but also just the. I'm, I'm imagining more of the emotional weight of knowing he's screwed out of not winning this and just all yeah. the emotion coming to him. Tommy just starts breaking down and Brendan almost calls the match there just to be with his brother. But Frank Grillo, again, really underrated performance. Everyone in this movie is underrated. But Frank Grillo's like, do you want to win this fight? If you don't knock him out, you don't have a home. No, wait, no, that was the that was the Koba fight. He's like, you need to. Yeah. He, he's not oh, your brother. Say less about that Koba fight, my guy. Oh my gosh. He says in that Woo! final round, he's not your brother. He's in the way, and so he's got to basically go out there. And Brendan doesn't even put up a fight. It's like trying to put down a wounded dog, basically. As Tommy is like holding up his shoulder, and it's just so hard to watch. And Brendan like puts his arms down. He's like, I don't want to fight him. And then puts his arms back up, and you know something bad is going to happen. So he does the duck, roundhouse kick to the face in slow-mo, knocks him down, puts him in a, uh, was it, is it a Kimura, basically? Puts him some full- Yeah, it was a very, like, yeah. He basically was trying to pop the other shoulder out. And so Tommy's struggling, and he's struggling, he's trying to fight, and Brendan's like, tap, Tommy, tap, it's okay. I love you, as he's just pounding the crap out of him. And Tommy, in that moment, is just like, that's really what he needed to hear. That's what he's been needing to hear for decades. And so he eventually taps, and you're just like, oh, the emotion, it's so good. And then they walk out together, realizing that Tommy's probably going to go to jail for abandoning his unit, which is a whole other <laughs> Court martial, you know, whatever. <laughs> but the emotion yeah. of that is just so, oh, it's hard to watch, but it's so cathartic. It, oh, it's so, so good on so many levels. It's super, it's super good. I, and like, you know, runner up for that movie for the Koba fight. And he's like, if Oof. you don't knock him out, you, you don't, don't have, have a home. home. Oh, let's like, go, oh, man. Get him, Joel. Get him. Let's go. Tommy, oh. Brendan, Brendan is wrestling the bear and he slips right out. Oh, the Miracle Kid. No, wait, no, Miracle Kid's Daniel Bryan. Um, but you know, <laughs> you get him mixed anyway. up. Anyway. Doesn't even look like Kurt Angle in that fight. It do- Dude, I didn't find out it was Kurt Angle until, like, my third watch. And I was like, somebody was like, bro, so who's in it? And I was like, oh, you know, uh, uh, Joel Edgerton, Tom Hardy. And I was like, I know the other people. Let me look up the cast. Kurt Angle? What? Which so- the irony oh, is not so lost good. on me that uber-American wrestler Kurt Angle is playing an evil Russian. <laughs> yes. Oh, so good. Okay, um, so let's pick a scene that from a movie that I don't think we will agree on. So Josh, what, what is a movie that you think won't be on my list? I know I'm going to pick this because I know it's not on your list. And that's the, literally the opening of up. And it, I know okay, okay. it doesn't get you, <laughs> but it gets me. All right. Oh, I just, excuse me. I got a burp. Um, but <laughs> I, there's the opening scene and I think a lot, a majority of normal, healthy, emotional people would, <laughs> would, would see that scene. And it, it does affect me. Um, I think the only scene in, there's a lot of like Disney stuff that has affected me emotionally, but I think this is to me, it's top five, top five, uh, just to the point where the character building for the old man all the way up to they tell us everything we need to know about his emotional and headspace um whenever we do start our adventure 
it does everything that it needs to do in the beginning of the film. So, I mean, I don't don't think I have to explain it a lot. I just know that it doesn't affect you as much as it affects us healthy, emotionally healthy people. It's because there's other (laughs) Pixar ones that get to me more. So let's let's go over that now, shall we? Toy Story 3. Toy Story 3. Okay. Um, Toy Story 3 also kind of makes me mad at Toy Story 4 that it couldn't even get close to replicating the emotion like come on woody and buzz are saying goodbye to each other forever and i don't really feel anything here like come on pixar be better than this but toy story 3 i still to this day cannot get through toy story 3 without crying and i will always admit that because for anybody that's listened to the show for any length of time the first toy story was my first movie in theaters ever so toy story holds a very special place in my heart third one andy Bonnie was not the right person to give these toys to. She gave up on Woody after like a year. Uh, but yep. seeing Andy giving away these toys, but also describing all of them, how much he cares about all of them, you're just like, ugh. I know some people are like, oh yeah, I cried when they were in the incinerator together and just holding hands. That never got to me just because I'm like, it's a kid's movie. We know that they're going to get out of there. Whereas it's much more believable and I was much more invested when he's handing the toys off to somebody else because... That hit our generation hard because we were Dude. entering that stage of our lives. We were yeah. we were handing off our childhood to a point that it doesn't exist anymore. It's not like we're handing it off to a next generation. It's just we're not kids anymore. We're moving on to college like Andy was. And these characters that we've known and loved for so long, it felt like the ending of a story. And as much as I don't mind Toy Story 4, I view it as an epilogue. Toy Story 3 just felt like the end of an era. And I remember we're seeing trailers for it going, the first two are perfect. How are you going to do anything even close to that? And 3 is as close to a perfect movie as you can get. And the ending is just still so, so good. And the, actually, the only thing that made me cry harder than the ending of Toy Story 3 is when Stan Lee died. And someone did that meme of the ending of Toy Story 3 and Stan Lee was Andy and Bonnie was Kevin Feige and he's like handing all the toys and he's like and last but not least is my buddy Spider-Man now I need you to take real good care of him he means a lot to me and I'm going you stop it you stop it right (laughs) now this is hurting me more actually but Toy Story 3 is just oh my gosh just say Toy Story 3 and people will go Oh yeah, there was not a dry eye in my theater. Yeah, absolutely. Like, and and it like it came out the year I graduated high school. So like, and that was like one of the last times my mom and I went and saw a movie together. Like, Oof. actually, no, that was the last time my mom and I went and saw a movie, just her and I. So it was like, oh, that hit hard. And I think I knew you were gonna say three, and I didn't want to just have repeats. So I do have a Toy Story moment on this list. Toy Story 2, when she loved me. Jesse's story. That, from Toy oh, Story 2. screw you, Toy Story. Breaks you didn't have to go there, heart. man. You did not have to go Breaks there, Toy Story. Breaks my heart every time. And like, and I think it's definitely added to the arc that she's given throughout this, the third movie as well. That she's She's just one of the toys now. She doesn't... She's not like a broken. She's not something from another family. She's like, no, that's Jesse. That's like our, our best friend. Like, that's 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 Jesse. And I think, like, God, man, and 
Toy Story one isn't exactly like emotionally heavy, and no. then and not exactly. I mean, it's it's a toy adventure. It was the first time experimenting with new technology, you know, all that kind of stuff. So it didn't do much. So, but God, Jesse's story, like you, it's a movie on its own inside of a movie, and it gives so much motivation. Like I just can't. I was so I was talking. I, I told you off, doing like pre pre stuff before we got on here to record, that I asked my brother and his wife. I was like, hey, like this is the topic. I'm kind of like at a blank right now. What are some stuff that, you know, that emotional scenes? And I was like, and Ben and I were talking about Toy Story three, and then his wife goes, well, yeah, but what about Jesse's story? And instantly, my heart broke, and I was like, oh man, I stupid can't Sarah end. McLaughlin song. Oh, oh my gosh. So, yeah. There's, there are certain two, people Jesse in my family that still to this day don't watch Toy Story 2 because of the sad Jesse scene in their words. Dude, it hurts. It hurts. Like, there, how do you – and I think part of that is because, like, Jesse as a character is so likable from yeah. the get-go. And they're like, no, you're supposed to die. No, yeah, she's not like Woody, who is to prone to pettiness and jealousy, or Buzz, who is exactly. prone to be a little delusional, not the smartest. Like, Jessie, there really is no faults in her. She's just good. But everyone you know and love will eventually leave you or die. I was like, and I was like, no, stop. You can't do that. Don't do that to me in a kid's movie. Oh, oh. man. What's stuff. another one, Josh? Um... I got Harry Potter. Okay, same, same, same. Um, because I'll be curious if we have the though, same one. Yeah, uh, even though I didn't have a lot of attachment to the series, I still saw the Harry Potter movies in theater. And so, you know, when I saw Dobby's death, I legitimately almost cried. I was wondering if that like, was going to be... I was heartbroken. I was wondering if it was going to be either that, mine, which we'll talk about later, we'll talk about after this, or when Cedric Diggory dies, because that's such oh, an that's, that's uh, such an abrupt. Yay! Everyone's celebrating. Oh, he's not moving. Like I think that's the biggest yeah. hard pivot in any franchise. Just going, yeah, we're happy. Oh no! I mean, and I almost and like tough. can't take it when the dad just screams, "That's my boy!" And you're like, "Yeah." Oh no! That hurts. But like Dobby's death hit hurt hits hard too because he's finally. Why does move? Why do movies do this? They finally give us the character's redemption and then murder them. Like just Harry Potter. And you just hear the whimper in the background, and you're just like, no, no, dude. Instantly, that was like one of the first times. Like, uh, so Harry Potter in general. Uh, my first Harry Potter was Goblet of Fire. Like, I love <laughs> the best Goblet one. Of yeah, it's great. Fantastic. Okay. I was on board from then on and was like, yeah, I'm watching these. I'm here. Cool, cool, cool. And then, but like Dobby's death was the first time I was like, oh, oh, don't, don't, I was feeling things. Don't do that to me. The thing like, is like, ugh. you killed him off right when I was starting to like him because Dobby's never been my favorite character. He's always kind yeah. of been a little annoying, but when they send him out and the way they send him out, you were just like, stop it. He gets a better death than Fred? Really? He gets a better death than, like, half the people that we actually have known and loved for multiple movies. But Dolby's death, just that little whimper of the Harry Potter. You're just like, oh, I was like no, oh, no, 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 no. And then 
Harry's like, I'm going to bury him by hand. It's the proper way. No magic. You're just like, ugh. The one that gets me, because there's more of a story to it, is when Dumbledore dies in the sixth one. Um, The story for me, though, is my family, we read the books. The first, like, two. The first two, my dad and I read together. My mom read separately. And then from then on, we would, like, rotate. Whenever the new book, we would come out, we would go to the midnight release parties for the books and we'd go through them really, really quickly. Like I'd read it for like four or five hours. My mom would read it for like a couple hours. My dad would eventually get around to reading it. And so we were on a road trip when Half-Blood Prince came out. And so I still very, very distinctly remember this as I was trying to read the book out loud, but I wasn't saying it loud enough. So my mom read it so everyone in the car could hear it. And we get to the part where Dumbledore dies. And we didn't actually think Rowling had the balls to do it. So we get to that part. My mom is trying to read it out loud between tears. And I'm in the back just sobbing my <laughs> eyes out. I think even my dad probably got choked up. Just like, you can't do this. This is Dumbledore who we know and love. The movie, I think his death could have been better i think the movie's forecast it too much that snape is not bad and there's clearly a plan here like yeah, having okay, snape whatever. underneath go Shh, to harry i'm just like that's not in the book in the book harry is petrified and hid under an invisibility cloak so he physically has to watch and can't do anything about dumbledore as opposed to him just standing aside because snape told him hey there might be a plan here and there's genuine doubt of whether or not snape is evil or not and Dumbledore actually pleads to him in the book, basically saying, don't do this. Like, it's hard to watch a man that you've known as like the all-powerful wizard basically begging for his life. But in the yeah. movie, his death is sad. But what really, really gets to me is when they're all huddled around his body. And I believe it's McGonagall first puts her wand up and sends the light up over the um, the dark mark above Hogwarts. And then every other student sends their light and it just destroys the cloud overhead and there's not a whole lot of music in the background you're just like oh i love the symbolism here of the light cutting through the dark yeah. it's it's not very subtle jk rowling is not known for subtlety but that moment was so beautiful and so powerful and it it did justice to the book even if it totally gave away the snape was not as evil as we suspected <clears throat> Yeah, well, opinions about Snape are put aside for this. <laughs> so I've got – I'll make Josh happy again with one that I Do don't it. know if he's going to be on your list or not, but this will make you very, very happy because I have to sing a little bit. Take me home to oh, the God, place where uh, I belong. Woo! West Virginia. Yeah. For those that don't know, Country, mama. I'm not the Take biggest fan of, of Kingsman, the Golden Circle. I think the first one is so much better. But oh my god, does the second one get me at least a little choked up every single time? And West yeah. Virginia by John Denver, of all things, gets me there. So for those that don't know, um, the Kingsmen basically are kind of like the cooler version of James Bond. And Mark Strong's Merlin character is more or less in charge of them all. He's in charge of... Oh, what? Who's the other guy? The one with the eye patch. Why am I blanking on... Colin Firth. He's in charge of Colin Firth. He's in charge of Colin Firth. He's in charge of Taron Egerton's Eggsy. And so they're going on a mission to save the world. And Eggsy accidentally steps on a landmine. And so... um, 
Mark Strong's character, Merlin, is just like, here, we got this can that'll freeze the landmine for a split second. So they're just like, all right, cool. We'll freeze it. We'll get off. Clear out of the way. So uh, he freezes it. They turn and run, and nothing happens. They're like, oh, well, well, that's good. Only to find out that Mark Strong's Merlin character shoved Eggsy off so he could step on the landmine instead and take his place. And they're like, you, you can't do that. I'm your superior officer. Yes, I can. Give me the can. <laughs> it's empty. And he still gives him the can anyway, but it's empty, so he can't do anything. He's like, no. Your father did this for me. Now it's my turn. And so he's like, mm. let me do this. Mm. You guys complete the mission. That's in order. So they're taking their sides, and the guards are still guarding the door. So he just starts singing West Virginia at the top of his lungs. And they're like, are you, are you expecting anybody? Calling into their boss. She's like, no, just bring him in. So they start moving forward to get him, and he just keeps singing at the top of his lungs, West Virginia. And he's looking over to his comrades, nods. They're just like, it's been an honor. And so he headbutts one guard, and then the rest of the guards come in. And he literally just looks over Eggsy one more time, gives him a nod. And the part that always gets me, this man of strength and uh, power, closes his eyes and braces for death. And you're just like, stop. And Dude. he goes out on one final high note, and steps off the landmine, and basically takes out the rest of the bodyguards. So him and his, so his buddies can go finish the mission. You're just like, stop. Dude, it's good. It's so good. I, and I think that I think there was like an uptick in like listens to that song for like. Dude, that video month. I watched the scene again on YouTube last night to refresh it. That's like 22 million views on Dude. that one scene. It's a great scene. Like, there's no... Oh, oh, mm, mm. We all know Kingsman has a special place in my heart just because it was a unique kind of, of spy stories. So it's, yeah. Great, now y'all are going to have stuff. West Virginia stuck in your head. West Virginia! So uh, since you've got spies and doing, like, military stuff, I think I'm going to bring my only... Yeah, my only military moment from a... Sorry, my only emotional moment from a military movie... Um, and it's one I had also forgotten about uh, until my brother reminded me. So in Save It Private Ryan, like a lot of stuff happens, right? Oh yeah. But the but the moment that gets me, and it still makes me squirm, is when the I forget names, but one of them is fighting a a, a German soldier, and he's got the German soldier gets on top of him and it has the knife and he's pushing it down into his chest. And the, the newbie is, is on the stairs, but he can't, he's so petrified. He can't get up to go save his friend and legitimate. And so like he has, he just sits there and listens to his friend get slowly stabbed through the chest. Uh, it's just, uh, I can't, like, it's been such a long time, and that movie is such one of those, like, you don't watch Saving Private Ryan without a completely open evening, because it's so emotionally exhausting. It's like Prisoners, um, you can't just go, I'm gonna rewatch this yeah. a couple times a year, like, no. Yeah, uh, but, like, that scene specifically, seeing a character who, by the end of the movie, really finally gets his comeuppance for just staying, just being too scared and he lets honestly one of the most entertaining characters of, of the of the show, of the movie just get killed in a way that is not honorable, that is not flashy, that is c- 
kind of sad. It's really, really sad. It, to me, it really hit me really, really, really hard. And it's I might have to go rewatch it just because, God, man. I have... It's not on my list, but I have an honorable mention from Saving Private Ryan now that you bring it up. And it's at the yeah. end when we see old Matt Damon and he just looks at his wife. Oh. Tell me I've been a good man. Like, tell me this was all worth it. I'm just like, Dude. stop. You're just putting oh. yourself on this pedestal that you know you can't reach of, have I lived up to what they deserved of me? I'm just like, stop, man. Stop. Dude, so good. So, um, one of mine, completely different. My only Michael Bay movie on this list today. Okay. We won, Gracie, from Armageddon when Bruce Willis dies. Oh, dude. Is this on your list? No, I hate that movie so much. Logically, no. The movie does not make sense. Why don't you just train astronauts to be oil drillers? And the movie will be like, well, it's it's hard. I, I get that. Why don't you, you know, have a mix? You train some actual astronauts and some drill people and even ben affleck i think in the commentary was just like you know this movie doesn't make sense right and michael bay basically told him to f off um (laughs) but maybe it's because bruce willis is actually trying in this movie or just because my family has seen armageddon so much for a long time summer movies were either armageddon or independence day i can quote both of those very thoroughly and Armageddon always gets me at the end when Ben Affleck, and honestly one of his better acting performances of that time, he wasn't that great of an actor at that time, yet he's great now. But when uh, Ben Bruce Willis's character of Harry basically pushes him in the elevator, he's just like, no, I got this one. You tell my daughter I love her, and he stays behind. You're just like, oh, I promised I'd, I'd come home for this one, Gracie, but it looks like I'm going to have to make uh, break that promise. And... You're just like, oh, Michael Bay, why don't you try for actual emotion in more of your movies, please? Because this is actually pretty good. Um, Let's also go with one that I'm going to need to explain myself after I say it. And then after the explanation, hopefully it makes a lot more sense. Because I put Night at the Museum 3 on my list. Okay. And Uh, here's why. Okay. It was one of if not the final performance that I ever saw of Robin Williams. It came out just a few months after his death. Now he did like two other movies, one low budget indie movie and one of one called like the angriest man in Brooklyn. But this was more or less like his last big movie. And we were all still kind of really, really feeling the impact because more so than any other celebrity, I feel like the death of Robin Williams really shook a lot of people it definitely shook me just because he was one of my favorite not just actors but just entertainers i love his stand-up as i discovered as an adult i really love his style his dramatic performances were excellent every kid was raised on his aladdin as genie he was just excellent and up until that point he was always open about his um, mental health, which I always thought was really, really brave and awesome of him because that's not something at that time was very well talked about or discussed in Hollywood yeah. circles. And Night at the Museum, as a whole, it's kind of just whatever. I really like the first one, and the second and third one are just kind of there. But the raw emotion going into the third one, knowing not only this trilogy ending that I actually somewhat enjoy, but knowing this will be the last time that I see Robin Williams on screen... And they're, they didn't, like, send him off and like, a, we know you're gone with us now because I don't think they knew at the time that this was going to be his no, last yeah. one. 
but I still remember like his last line is something along the lines of like, "Look to the sun, boy. It's a new day." As like uh, Ben Stiller's character is going off on his own adventure, and still the, just the I will forever associate that movie with. This was this is the goodbye to Robin movie, and it makes it really mm. difficult to watch that finale. The movie as itself is probably like a six out of ten, nothing spectacular, but that scene, even if it's not like emotionally manipulative. Which I appreciate that they didn't make it emotionally manipulative to try and really drag the heart, pull the heartstrings. Yeah. You still feel it knowing this is going to be the last time we're going to see him, which just made it that much more difficult. Yeah, he had so much left. It always felt like he's got so much more left to do, and so I can totally understand that being his final performance. It it really, it can really pull. Um, now. I'm gonna talk about a final performance, and but not necessarily the guy's still alive. So it's the, but it's just his final <laughs> okay, performance okay. of a character, uh, of, a, of a character, and that in the la- I can't even pick one scene, but basically the last fourth of Logan is yeah. so yeah, so good, uh, and like it builds it throughout the entire movie. So it's not like it's just this thing, just this scene, but like the last fourth of Logan is just it's intense it's guttural it's sad it's happy i it just it is the perfect way to send off Hugh Jackman's Wolverine and to the point of everyone's always like oh so the multiverse opens up then bringing back Hugh Jackman as Wolverine i'm like no absolutely not logan is the send off and i want no nothing else i can't to me, it's disrespectful at that point to bring to bring uh, Hugh back after the last fourth of Logan because it's like if you're not at the very least got like misty eyed when when at, when X has to to bury him, I was just like oh, so, and then the and then the cross falls over. Oh man, I can't no, I so, can't handle it, bro. You go from it's emotional roller coaster. You go from the pure excitement of. Oh, we finally got Primal Rage Wolverine when he like juices up yes. one more time and just <sighs> as he runs through the woods, just slicing a dice and fools. You're like, this is the Wolverine we've always wanted. And then Clone Wolverine impales him on the tree, and you start to feel it. And then, at least for me, I started to tear up, and the tears started flowing when he's holding uh, his daughter's hand, and he's yes. just like, so this. So this is what it feels like. Cause, and then you remember the prophecy from the Wolverine, in which case you'll die holding your heart in your hand. And you're just like, just stop, just stop. And she's just like basically begging and pleading. She's like, no, just stay with me, stay with me, stay with me. And so I'm already blubbering, a blubbering mess. And then, like you said, she buries him, even more waterworks. And then she's about to leave. And then she turns back and turns the cross into an X. And then you're just like, just stop. I can't. I don't I have can't, any more I tears in my it. body. Like, oh. I, oh, man. I don't know if, I haven't rewatched it in a few months, but I'm sure if I rewatched it now, I still don't know if I can make it through without bawling my eyes out because it is such a beautiful send-off to a character that basically played the character for almost 20 years. And just something so simple as whether you wanted to be or not, you are an X-Men. You will always be an X-Men. And you're just like, oh, like there's, there's the Mount Rushmore of comic book movies. 
I don't think that one is ever coming off that Mount Rushmore. It is just that perfect. And as much as I would love a Hugh Jackman cameo in Multiverse of Madness, I'm with you. It's got to be something really, really special if it is, or else leave the legacy where it is because that send off just it's rips your heart out in the best possible way. Yeah, it's too good. Um, and I think it's it's what makes why I'm so interested. I think, and I think why the world is so interested in when they eventually bring Wolverine back because Hugh, Hugh Jackman left a, just a huge hole in our hearts. And also like, like you said, he played the character for over uh, just about 20 years. Like you can't just put anybody in that, in that, um, in that role, which is why, I know it's a hope and dream, but I, 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 I've accepted in a, in a lot of ways that Tom Hardy is not the man. Physically, he's perfect for the role, and his acting style is perfect for the role, but that's that, like, you can't, nobody, Tom can't, can't grow into the role like Wolverine needs it to be. So I, I think because of Logan's betrayal, to, because of Hugh Jackman's betrayal of Logan, specifically in Logan, um, Wolverine has become an even more special character, and thanks to that hit that that send off. As much as you want Tom Hardy and I want Daniel Radcliffe, at the end of the day, I think they have to go with an unknown actor, just mm-hmm. because Hugh Jackman at the time he had been in some stuff, but he was a theater guy, so he was able to become Wolverine. That's all we knew of that role, like. We didn't have any preconceived notions of what Iron Man would be before Robert Downey Jr. came in. We would have preconceived notions for Wolverine. They need to do something new and something fresh with it. And I think basically starting from scratch almost with a completely unknown actor might be the better option there. Uh, I got yep. two more. How many more you got? I got two more as well. Cool. Um, I'll go with the obvious one that I'm surprised it's taken me this long to talk about. Iron Giant had to be on here somewhere. It, <laughs> I won't talk about that one last just because. It's we, the obvious one. Yeah, this is the I obvious one. I almost put it on my list, but I was like, Nathan's going to talk about it. I will, I, Obviously, the you stay, I go, no following um, will always get to me. Like, yeah. it's just one of the best sacrifices. It's I still say Iron Giant is the best Superman movie ever made. But the older I get, there's more scenes that still just emotionally get to me just as much if not more than that finale of um i am not a gun like that that choice Mm. or the one that really when i showed heather for the first time just like really really resonated with me and just stuck on me so much was souls don't die and like Mm. just the morality that um hogarth imparts to the giant the lessons that he teaches him of there's so much stuff that a child like Hogarth should not need to know at his age, which still to me supports my theory that his dad died. And that's why he's so comfortable with the concept of death because like the line that still breaks my heart into a thousand pieces of it's wrong to kill, but it's not wrong to die. Like Ooh. Hogarth, Ooh. who hurt you this bad that you're <laughs> like this wise when it comes to death, which still I think his dad died maybe in war somewhere. Um, mm-hmm. but I think there's so many good lines that just really just cut to the heart and the soul of the movie. And yes, the, you stay, I go, no following is perfect. Uh, you are who you choose to be 
Superman. It's just so perfect, but there's just so many other great scenes of uh, when they're flipping through the comic books uh, during bedtime stories. And it's like, and here's Superman the greatest. Oh, that's a Tomo. He's evil, but you're not a Tomo as the giant just like sees himself in this and your heart just breaks going, you are not bad just because you see this, which it's almost like that could be used as a representation for racism. Almost. What? No way. Of um, maybe you're not how yeah. people portray you. Um, but uh, just Iron Giant in general. I don't need to speak anymore about it just because I do plenty yeah. enough. It's good. It's a great moment. And there's reasons that I didn't put it on my list because I knew you would do enough. You would have enough for it. That, that I, I'll be curious I, to see if you have my last one, though, on either of your last two. Uh, we'll see. Uh, second to last is going to be Perks of Being a Wallflower. Uh, the scene when it's re- revealed wh- why Charlie feels so guilty about his aunt's death. Um, I don't know. Nathan, have you seen Perks of Being a Wallflower? I have not, actually. Okay. Um, well, but at, it's been years, so I don't care about spoilers. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, so I... Perks of Being a Wallflower has a special place in my heart. It's literally always been top one of my top ten favorite movies of all time. Um, for obvious reasons, if you know me and you see the movie. But uh, it's, it deals with the character of Charlie who writes letters to himself to... Or the book is based off of a bunch of letters that have been found written by Charlie. Um, so... Perks of Being a Wallflower is one of the first movies I ever realized that, for whatever reason, made me realize that movies were being made from books. Mm. Um, and I, so I saw the trailer and was like, "This looks really great." And it said, "Based on a on a book on you know the book or whatever." And I was like, "Oh, okay, cool." So I went and read the book before the movie came out, which is that started a whole new thing of me doing that. But um, to the point where. I think the movie did a better job of this moment. Really? Of, yes. So the book kind of like drops hints throughout the whole story, throughout, throughout the um the, the the book, but and to the point where it's actually the quote unquote the big reveal. It's not that big of a reveal because you can kind of piece piece little you know things together to kind of figure out what happened, um, but. In the movie, they don't allude to it at all. At all. Period. I mean, they give little moments and, like, memories of the scene of the day that it happened, of the, the, of the, that she got in a car accident and died instantly. But they don't really, like, put a lot into it. So, Charlie deals with, like, anxiety disorders and, and has a mental break several times throughout the, uh, well, like, throughout the movie. And to the point where, like, he eventually try, uh, experiments with drugs, as most teenagers do. Um, and like it sends him into a clinical depression to where he ends up back in the hospital, which is where it's revealed that he feels so guilty about his aunt's death. And he when when his aunt died, he was like, he it's like six or seven. When his aunt died, it was on Christmas, so he hates Christmas because of that reason. But it's revealed he feels guilty because she used to sexually abuse him. And he was wishing that she was dead, and then she got killed in a, in the accident. And so he blames him. He, he's like the two brain sides of his brain are are fighting each other. Of like, no, this woman abused me, 
and does not deserve to live. And I actually, you know, really cared about this person because they're family and I wish them dead and now they're dead and that's my fault. So it's just like, oh, oh, and it like comes out of nowhere and it's like this build of Charlie's character for like an hour and a half of like, oh, that's why, that's why you do, you act this certain way, this, this, in this certain way and interact with, with love and this, it's just so, it's just so, it's such a good movie and while it is, it can be written off as like a teen, like romance, whatever, rebellion film, whatever. To me, it hit me really, really hard at the time that I saw it. I think I saw it at, like in college. I don't remember, but yeah, it's it, it hit me really, really hard where I live, and just hmm. that 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 reveal of why why he he's dealing with these things is is like how do how do you emotionally sit there and go, all right, guy, so you're sexually abused by your aunt, and then you wished her dead, and then she died, and now it's you feel like it's your fault, <laughs> like oh. That's tough. It's tough stuff. Alright. What's your final one? I'm just gonna say the line from the scene and Don't say how to train your dragon. No. <clears throat> Mr. Frodo, I can't carry the ring for you, but I sure can carry you. Oh It hits me. No, I don't nothing. I... <laughs> it is the the moment where I was See... like, okay, I appreciate Sam's journey throughout the throughout all three films. See, I I get what the scene is going for, but I hate that line so much. It's so dumb. No! It's so cheesy. I love it. Like oh. if he just picked him up and carried him up the mountain, I think that would have been more effective. But I think that that line is so cheesy. Like there's so many other scenes in Lord of the Rings. Like my friends, you bow to no one, and all of Gondor bows down to all the hobbits. Yeah, or better yet, like of like. Sam, I have to go, and he leaves to go to the great beyond with. Oh, you mean at like the the third ending to the to Return of the okay, King? Okay, everyone complains about the endings of Return of the uh, King. No, I don't think I know, it's that I bad. Know. I think it's closure. I think the one where it's, Sam goes closure. back to the the Shire that's overkill. That just doesn't feel necessary. But, <laughs> however, <laughs> the. Just because not even, I want to say, well, technically I could say, an hour before this, because that's how long Return of the King is, uh, Frodo basically tells Sam to never touch the ring. And in that moment, it would be so easy for Sam, who is literally so good-hearted and is it's literally like the, the goodest person in the whole franchise. He a good boy. Um, He's a good boy. If if anybody was a golden retriever, it'd be Sam. It's like Sam. Him. He's even got a dog <laughs> uh, name. He. Uh, but in that moment, it would have been easier to take the ring and walk up by yourself and throw it in. But in that moment, he respected his best friend's wishes and was like, "You know what? Fine. I can't. I, I I'm not. Phys- I'm still physically able to keep going." And you, I made you made me promise to not touch the ring ever again. So fine, I'm gonna pick you up, and we're gonna finish this journey because that's what we started out to do, and that's what Gandalf made me made me promise to do. And I don't care what you have to say; it's a great line. It's so cheesy. Okay, better <laughs> better lines is when wow. Frodo is literally offering the ring to Aragorn in Fellowship of the Ring, has his open hand and everything, and Aragorn's just like. 
closes his hand and it's like I would have followed you to the gates of Mordor and like openly refuses the ring which if I'm correct he's the first person we've seen resist the ring just straight up like I yeah. know the power that this can wield but I do not want it and I, I'm always fascinated with characters that need and should be in positions of leadership but refuse that leadership Dick Grayson in Battle for the Cowl um Joshua in the Bible um or when what's his face uh Sean Bean and his billionth death when he goes down swinging with the five arrows and he keeps insisting Gondor has no king Gondor needs my no king my friend my brother my king you're just like mm, brotherhood and manly tear deaths but yeah, I I get what you're saying. It's it's the big culmination of Sam's arc. My thing though is I've never disliked Sam. I've always thought Sam was a much better character than Frodo. So this wasn't like a big revelation yes. to me. Frodo is the single-handed <laughs> most overrated character in the entire franchise. Like get out of like here. Just, uh, just like Bobo. He, he should have just Sam should have just knocked out Frodo, apologized later. Just be like Hey, I took care of the ring, by the way, because you were just whining about it incessantly. But it's done now. Let's <laughs> I, go. You're right. Like, and that's I think the tough part is there's so many good moments in Lothering, the whole series. Like, um, well, I never thought I'd die side by side by an elf. What about side by side, side with, with a friend? friend? It was like, oh, I, right there. All that right. I can do. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, dude. Uh, or the Aragorn's speech at the Black Gate. Um, which fits like, even better so... with the Avengers theme. It does. It's I, I can't unsee it. It's so good. Um, but just like there's so many really really good moments. But and I'm not I'm not saying that is the best moment out of the series. I'm just it is on the list of most emotional moments. Okay. Alrighty. For my last one, I'm sure Josh is in the same camp with me. And there's a reason I said it for last because it's one of the ones that just hit me the hardest when I saw it in 2018. I love you. I have always loved you. From a quiet place with the sign language and the whole... It basically personifies the whole movie and it's done so well. So for those that don't know, A Quiet Place was and still is the best movie of 2018. That movie is a masterpiece. Uh, And so this family, for those that don't know for some reason this family undergoes a tremendous tragedy in the opening act of this movie and the daughter very much holds herself responsible even though it's not directly her fault but she definitely has a hand in the death of her little brother and so she has this estranged relationship with her dad which is so beautifully shown in the movie as a lack of communication by literally their inability to speak meaning they cannot speak about their problems it's just it's the symbolism is so good. Um, but he insists that you can't check the basement. You can't check the basement. Uh, that's my area. And so she like kind of the daughter kind of resents John Krasinski's character of just like, he hates me. He doesn't care about me. Uh, but she doesn't know his full plan. And she just like, well, why is he taking my brother out to learn about wilderness survival and not me? I'm the older one. And it's just like, does he hate me? No, it's just that the boy who's much more nervous and timid needs to be shaken out of that timidity if he wants to survive in this world. And he needs to someday be 
the man of the house, um, whereas the girl is already pretty self-sufficient on her own. And so the kids get trapped in a silo and they escape that and they're trying to make their way back to the house and they get attacked by the creatures that basically get picked up by sound. And so the dad tries to make the save and he tries to attack the creature with a sledgehammer, not sledgehammer, a shovel, but the creature basically sees it and almost like gashes him open. And so he's on the ground that starts attacking the truck that the kids are hiding in. And so very slowly, the dad stands up and the music, the beautiful, beautiful music by Marco Beltrami kicks in and you're just like, oh no, oh no, something bad's going to happen. And so the same shovel, I love the the symbolism of this, the same shovel that John Krasinski's character just tried to kill the alien creature with, he's now using as a support to try and stand himself up. And so, um, ironically enough, it's almost the same symbolism as the Seth Rollins Triple H WrestleMania match, in which case Seth Rollins used the sledgehammer as a crutch instead of a weapon, which I thought was actually brilliant storytelling. But getting back to the Krasinski thing, he gets up using that same shovel and then drops the shovel as a form of surrender. He's not going to try and attack the creature who are drawn by sound. He most he uses sign language to tell his daughter, I love you. I have always loved you. And he does the motions with it and then gives what I will always say is the most gut-wrenching and guttural scream in movie history. It's everything. It is pain. It is anguish. It is relief all coming out at once in one scream you hear the anguish in his voice of knowing he's gonna die and he's gonna be without his family but also the release of i have not been able to scream like this at the top of my lungs safely in a very long time and he's just letting it all out and so the creature goes and basically kills him so the kids have a chance to get home and when they get home the daughter sees the basement for the first time and sees all the plans that the dad's been making of trying to develop a hearing aid for her and has tried to learn all about audiology just so she can hear again and understand that, oh my gosh, he just wasn't telling me his whole plan. He did love me all along and he was trying to do these things. It's so much that analogy of the rebellious teenager that doesn't understand why the parent does the things that they do. And John Krasinski's mastery of that scene and his directing was just so beautiful and just hit me so, so hard. I'm not a parent by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm getting to that age where I appreciate my parents more and what they've done and wanting to be a parent someday. Stuff like that hits me more. And that's why whenever we talk about shows that hit me hard, I'm going to absolutely talk about The Haunting of Hill House because Mm. the first time I watched Haunting of Hill House... When the oldest son says, I can fix this, the same thing his father said, that, no joke, just shattered me into a thousand pieces going, you tried so hard to not be your dad, but in the end you realize he did okay and you want to be him now. And Quiet Place just is so masterful of, there was this grand plan, you just didn't see it, and this father's willing to lay down his life for his kids, which is the greatest thing a father could do it quiet place is so good people i cannot <laughs> rave about this movie enough the second one was just fine but the first one is genuinely a masterpiece that i still am amazed by how good it is and that scene specifically i just need to say i love you i have always loved you and people immediately just go oh yep i know exactly what you're talking about yeah it's fantastic there's a lot of really 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 good scenes in that movie um 
the death of the kid at the beginning is is hard. It, it hurts. It hurts quite a bit. Um, the the but as Rascal Flatts would say, it doesn't hurt the most. Oh, but yeah, I, I love you. I've always loved you. As far as like the the moment in the past ten years that has hit the hardest, I think that that's up there easily. Yeah. Um, any last minute thoughts there, Josh? Nah, man. I, uh, there's obviously, I think it's important to, to, to make sure we say that like this, these are not the only, obviously the, the, the superior moments, like these are just our favorites because there are so many moments we're not, we're not. Yeah. We're not if you're talking. like a like dog said, person, this, Marley and me, or I am legend and those hit you hard. Look, dude, you don't even have to be a dog person, but Marley and me hits hard. I, I, oh, Oof. Yeah. I, still, I, I, I literally Marley and Me is one of those movies that you can only watch once because it hurts. It hurts so much. Like my dog Skip. Okay. So anyway, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. But I, I think it's. I could sit here and be like, emotional scenes are the are the things that make us come back for movies. But like, yeah, it's 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 a thing that we things we remember. Very, very true. What well, what are some of the scenes that hit you the hardest? Let us know. We always like hearing from you guys. And as always, if you like what you see and want to see more, subscribe to us on whatever audio platform you're listening to us on, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or YouTube. And if you haven't already subscribed to us on YouTube, we are now only eight subscribers away from 500. Yeah. We're so, so close. So subscribe to us on YouTube if you haven't already. And as always, stay sharp, movie guys and gals. <laughs>